0: So, this morning, I want to um, explore um, two themes that are really that are related to the uh, time of Thanksgiving and the holiday and the two themes are generosity and gratitude and for me it 's interesting to bring them together and uh, I was talking yesterday with a friend, and I was talking about um, some of my ideas for what I would explore this morning, and we were talking about gratitude, and she, she talked about how, for her, gratitude and generosity are very much linked. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting combination uh, to, to explore how that connection is. And I was, I was reflecting further, and there, there's a wonderful um, book that came out about uh, 20 years ago called The Gift by Lewis Hyde, H-Y-D-E. And I, I believe that looking at the notion of the gift or the sense of the gift is a very interesting way to link generosity and gratitude because I think what, what both of the uh, concepts and the associated practices call forth is really a way of being in which we relate to the world and we relate to others as a recycling as a, and a movement of gifts in which that if we think of generosity it's really a kind of a, a giving the essence of generosity and generosity is the word we translate usually from the polydana, which and I'll, I'll talk more about that but it's a kind of giving it's a uh, uh, a giving of gifts we might say um, and when we express gratitude, it's often for, we might say, for something that we can appreciate as almost like a gift, or often quite literally as a gift. I have gratitude. This feels... I have gratitude for the beautiful weather. It feels like a gift. It didn't have to be that way. It could have been otherwise. And so I was... uh, I think these two uh, concepts of generosity and gratitude could really be seen as what it's like when we're in a, uh, a world in which the main reality is the movement of gifts in our lives and in our minds. And it's uh, um, Lewis Hyde used the notion of the gift, and he particularly um, compared what he called gift economies from market economies. And gift economies are economies in which there's a perpetual movement of gifts. And it's really about relationships. The gifts keep moving. You know, you, you know the phrase, the gift that keeps giving. Mm. And in many cultures, gifts have that function. You can't just receive a gift without giving <laughs> a gift in turn. And so there's a constant movement of gifts. And we know that in many other cultures that sense of being of the most primary realm that we're in is this realm where we keep giving gifts and receiving gifts. And it's a very, it's a very different way of being. Um, I visited about eight or nine years ago, I visited um, a friend's family in northern British Columbia and was for about ten days uh, on a little island not very far from Alaska, Where I took part in a potlatch ceremony. Some of you know the the potlatch is a ceremony that's been uh, that primarily takes place in the Northwest Coast uh, tribes, in mostly from Seattle up through Alaska, or the the northern northern Washington up through Alaska. And they are they are um, for three or four days. Gifts are given for 10 hours a day. The ceremonies usually start at 2 or 3 in the afternoon. They go till about 3 or 4 in the morning. And there are just cycles of giving gifts. This was so horrifying to the Canadian authorities that they actually prohibited, made illegal, the potlatch from 1880 to 1952. <laughs> and it's very, it's, it's very interesting to think of this, to think of life as this movement of gifts, Uh, what happens in a gift economy is that the gifts keep moving. And it's interesting to look at, um, in a market economy such as we have, gifts are very different, you know, and gifts are more, and and in fact the way we look at at wealth is very different, that often we tend to hoard things, and we maybe sometimes give gifts uh, grudgingly, we have a sense of that we increase the wealth we increase our wealth by not giving and it's a, it's it's interesting isn't it and there's um there's a, there's a sense in which the market economy is based on not so much on giving but on setting a fee and having sort of regulated exchanges which are which are very different from giving gifts you know and you set a fee and it's a very it's actually a very interesting issue for us because it's really a question of how do we, uh, how do we living in a market culture, um, relate values which we don't want to be made into market values. That's, I think, why a lot of people love Thanksgiving, because it's the least commercialized of the holidays, right? And the question is, what happens when our deeper values start being brought into the market economy? It's one of the reasons that at Spirit Rock we've tried to work, however imperfectly, with the system of dana, which literally means generosity. And people have tried to say, as is the case in Asia, that the spiritual teachings that come forth as in, as in Asia should not be given a price. They should not be brought into the market system. You know. And so for this class and for retreats, um, the teaching and the, there's a kind of a giving an attempt to carve out a you might we might say to carve out a gift economy and separate it from a market economy you know and it 's held that that 's where the qualities of generosity and gratitude can flow more easily and it 's a, it's a tricky issue it 's not easy you know I know as someone who's been because we have to live in both worlds right we have to live in both worlds and Even the way we sometimes we do retreats here, it's almost like the two systems are are linked up. There's one fee that's the market fee, and there's the other fee that's the Donna fee, and it's kind of it's we're not always so conscious that we're bringing together two systems, you know. But we all have to live like that. It's really a deep question: How do we deal with the the influence of market values on our non-market values, on love and compassion? And that's why I was joking a little bit about the ad for the bookstore shopping for the holidays. <laughs> because it's, so I think it's helpful to be conscious about that because I think what I'm going to suggest is that the generosity and gratitude operate on a different level. And it's helpful to see that. that they work in a little bit different way. They don't work on the basis of exchange. You did this for me, I'll do this for you. Or uh, I give generosity because you paid me this money <laughs> or something. You know, and it's it's a it's a very different model. Um, So let me talk a little bit about generosity, and some about uh, gratitude. And what I'll want to encourage is us to reflect on this, and also to reflect on how we practice both generosity and gratitude. How how do we practice that in our daily lives? How might we practice it further? And I'll I'll invite anyone who wants to to take this as our take home practice for the next week to work with generosity and gratitude so you can can see this as a take home practice pep talk <laughs> you might say so the first first on generosity and again the pali word the the language of the buddha is dana d a n a you know people come here and they see on all the literature the mention of dana because again that's how we that's how, as it were, teachers are supported. In many ways, that's how Spirit Rock is supported. And people always ask, who's this Dana, Dana person? <laughs> well, this Dana person is just everywhere in the literature. And who's, who's Dana? <laughs> but it's, um, it's spelled the same way as Dana. But it's, uh, it's usually translated as generosity. And it appears uh, in a very fundamental way in the Buddhist teachings. And I think that's important to see. Some of you know that there's a teaching called the teaching of the paramis. In, in Sanskrit, it would be the paramitas, which is the, they're usually translated as the perfections. It could be translated as the virtues. It's really a list of virtues. It's the list of qualities that define spiritual development. Uh, qualities like patience and meditation and ethics and... Um, Wisdom and being skillful and means, and it's a list which it's a uh, teaching or a list which which is there both in the uh, teachings of of southern Buddhism, the teachings that come out of Thailand and Burma. It's also the teachings of the Bodhisattva. The the Bodhisattva is the being who is dedicated to not only awakening for oneself but helping others to awaken. It's wonderful. Almost archetypal, mythical figure of this being who goes out into the world and is just dedicated to awakening for self and other. And it's, you know, many of us, we're in love with bodhisattvas. I I am. (laughs) And guess what? Right at the top of the list of the paramis, the virtues, and right at the top of the list of the qualities that the bodhisattva has to develop is what? Generosity. It's right at the top of the list. And it's an interesting quality because we can work on generosity even when our minds are completely all over the place, right? We can work on generosity at any time. We can, we can work on giving at any time. And it's, um, it's such um, a wonderful quality. And again, it's a quality that I think goes somewhat against the grain of our culture. Because, and it goes somewhat against the grain of our normal conditioning. Because our normal conditioning is what? If we think of ourselves as a separate being and if our lives are oriented towards finding pleasure for number one and avoiding pain for number one, we're going to tend to want to accumulate good things for ourselves. And there's going to be a tendency to greed. And generosity is the opposite of greed. Greed is taken to be one of the fundamental conditionings of a deluded person. It's talked about that there are three so-called poisons, greed, hatred, and delusion. And that's one way that we look at at our practice. We look at our practice as the transformation of greed, hatred, and delusion. But we can also look more positively and say... Our practice is not just about cutting through greed, hatred, and delusion, but it's also about, as it were, developing their opposites. It's another way to look at our whole practice, our lives. And the opposites are what? Generosity is the opposite of greed. And love or compassion is the opposite of hatred. And wisdom is the opposite of um, delusion. So we could, we, we could see our pra- practice very positively. I'm developing generosity. I'm developing... Um, caring, being compassionate, developing love in my heart, and I'm developing wisdom. But it's important to see that this quality of being uh, self-centered is a very strong part of our uh, lives, and I think it's even, there's some aspects of our uh, Western cultural conditioning which make that tendency even stronger. The kind of individualism, individualism which is very strong in our culture, has its uh, positive qualities, but it also tends to make us very self-centered right? and tends to sometimes encourage the greed. Obviously, our economic system for a lot of people encourages self-centeredness and greed. And so we have to find ways to identify the qualities in our own minds and hearts which are self-centered and greedy and to watch that. That's a key part of generosity practice. It's almost as if as with much of our practice, we see through the negative and we apply the antidote of the positive. So we use the mindfulness to just notice, oh, I'm being self-centered now. I'm being greedy. Oh, I really want that for myself. you know, Or, you know, I'm you know, I just um, wanting this. If I have this, it'll make me happy. And we start seeing that conditioning more and more clearly, and that's right at the center of our practice. But we also... Uh, can uh, complement that mindfulness practice, the seeing through practice, by the practice of giving, that which will um, develop the the antidote uh, and encourage generosity. And I was I was just uh, thinking, and I think I want to ask later. I was think I was just reflecting in myself. Uh, what's helped me to develop generosity? Or what kind of practices help? And uh, there's, you know, the Buddha said, if we once said if we if we knew how much generosity healed the heart and opened the heart, we would we would not lose a moment to be generous. And so we can can we could take as a practice. I want to be do something that's generous every day. We can take that as a practice. Um, you know, one thing which I've done. We have a lot of dilemmas about giving and generosity. You know, when we you know certainly. You know, I live in Berkeley and I encounter a lot of homeless people on the street, and there are always dilemmas of what do I do, you know, and so forth. And um, sometimes I've taken as a practice just to give something to everyone who asks, which is an interesting practice, you know, to do that. Other times I've always carried around food, you know, which not everyone wants, actually. You know, not everyone wants food. I mean, I've, and sometimes, you know, they don't like the food. <laughs> 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 no. you got to be got to be careful. I, mean, <laughs> I once um, once we were a group I was working with uh, in the uh, Buddhist Peace Fellowship base program. We quite a few times we prepared the meal for the um, uh, at the homeless shelter in Berkeley, and I remember one one evening we got into a. Uh, um, we got into a very interesting discussion because um, half the people in the group really wa- didn't like the idea of offering meat. They wanted to give vegetarian cooking. And the people at the homeless shelter really were not into vegetarian cooking. <laughs> and it, it provoked a very interesting discussion about what is, what is generosity and what is giving. You know? And do we, do we give what the other person wants? And it's not an easy issue, is it? It's a, it's a tricky issue. But it's, I think this is what generosity practice is it 's to inquire and it 's to give and then look at the subtleties, look at the um, the difficulties of that and it was it was a very provocative discussion we had you know like one person was extremely upset that we were giving meat isn 't that against our ethical precepts you know we're involving killing and we had a very interesting discussion about that, and i won 't tell you the the answer quite now <laughs> but we, we actually did we did offer meat that was our that was our um, well, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it's a resolution, because we didn't talk about it much. We just, the person who was against it wasn't in on the, wasn't at the um, supermarket. <laughs> 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 so, so uh, Sharon Salzberg tells a wonderful story of being given <laughs> by a friend, like many hundreds of dollars, and said, give it all away. And so she went out on um, actually on Telegraph Avenue in Berkeley and started giving away ten or twenty dollars to, to everyone she met and partly it was it, it was a big it was a big happening on telegraph avenue <laughs> but but she but there 's something about the 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 lightness that we feel when we give that that she she reported feeling that there's something there's, there's many people say that when we give, we actually ourselves receive a great gift, that there's some lightning, because the act of giving is what? It's, it's about letting go. It's about not grasping so hard with, uh, to what we have, so to speak, not grasping so much. And grasping is taken to be right at the heart of the causes of suffering. And so when we do generosity practice, we're actually doing very deep work about our sense of me, here, self. I want it. This is for me. Without this, I won't be secure. And it's, it's a very interesting practice. It's a very interesting practice to to do that. Um, I was very uh, moved one time to uh, by a friend of mine. I, I was with a friend whose name is uh, Mindok. He's a Vietnamese monk who's probably the main Vietnamese teacher on the West Coast. And he's a senior... Um, Dharma heir of Tiknad Han. He lives in um, the San Jose area, and if you ever want to go to uh, meet him, he, te- he teaches a lot, uh, especially on the weekend at the Duk Vien Temple in uh, San Jose. I think it's the uh, I think it's on McLaughlin Avenue, um, and it's he's, he's a wonderful, wonderful bodhisattva being, and I've uh, we've we've been friends for about ten years and spend spend a fair amount of time together. And I was very, uh, I've been very uh, moved by his relation to giving, because he just, one thing being a monk, he can't really possess anything, but nonetheless he is, he he handles money. But it's like it's so clear that he's not holding on to anything. And one time I was, um, we were, I was, um, we were going out to dinner with uh, Sulak Sivaraksha, who's a um, leading Buddhist social change activist in, in uh, Thailand. And Sulak was talking about some of his work, and uh, my friend Minduk just without, you know, just very nonchalantly just handed him like a few hundred dollars and said, I hope this helps your work. And there was something that struck me, and he, I've seen him do that many other times. There's something like clearly for him. These are resources which are just coming through, that sense of the gift economy. There's something moving. And he's just really helping to circulate it as well he can on the basis of wisdom, on the basis of what he thinks will help. And it really struck me. I really was very moved by that and said, I have a ways to go. (laughs) (laughs) I have a ways to go with that. But it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful um, experience to really see that. other practices, which, which I've done personally, is, which, which are um, sometimes recommended, it's sometimes recommended that we, give the, uh, that we give gifts to our so-called enemies. And it's been a very interesting practice. I've done that quite a few times. Someone we feel really uh, tight towards and hard towards. And to give a gift to that person, it's really hard to give a gift and maintain that. Not to say it won't come back at a certain time, but there's a way that that really goes against that kind of barriers. And I'm not saying we should do with all the gifts or that there should be a flooding of gifts from the Bay Area to Washington. <laughs> 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 um, but it's, an, it's a very powerful practice that I've done with people that I have felt um, frictionless. I've done it uh, quite, a, quite a few times, and it really shifts something internally. It can be a conscious practice where we give a gift. And again, it has to feel appropriate. But it's, it, it, a lot of this is about um, cutting through the self-centeredness and the barriers. And we can do these actually very small uh, gift practices. And I think you might just ask yourself, if I have to do a generosity practice uh, every day, what might I do? You know, it might be a different practice. Or would I feel comfortable taking a vow to do a gener- some form of generosity practice every day? And it can be also generous towards ourselves, right, because I think we, we are sometimes generous towards others but not towards ourselves. So if you want to do generosity practice the next week, it's okay to be generous towards yourself. So I see a lot of faces lighting up. <laughs> 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 um, but it's actually, it's actually very important because we, we both, in terms of uh, generosity and gratitude, we often are not very generous or gracious, you might say, or grateful towards ourselves. And I think so. It's, I think that's an important part of practice. I want to talk also a little bit about gratitude because, I, again, I, I think these are very connected in this cycle of uh, feeling our experience as a giving and as a receiving of gifts. And being, being uh, more and more in that flow where that's our reality. It's a giving. It's a quality of uh, gratefulness and and sharing and being generous, uh, away from that uh, narrow, separate self that that gets constricted and tries to hoard and so forth. I was thinking of um, the different ways that we can express uh, gratefulness, the different ways that we can express gratitude. it, It is really for having a sense that this is a gift, that I am receiving something that helps me and I can be grateful. And it's not to say, it's not to be, as it were, Pollyannish and not look at what's difficult and just just always look on the positive. That's, that can be a problem in itself. But it's can we, can we bring our attention to really seeing what's beautiful or what's helpful. I think, again, in our culture, we tend often to look very critically at things. We tend to focus... Uh, on our judgments, we tend to look at the at the negative. You know I know that I remember this incident very clearly um, that somehow stands in my mind as an emblem of this. Uh, I was uh, co directing a summer institute for the Buddhist peace fellowship, and we did mid there was like six or seven days long and we did a mid uh, a mid um, summer institute evaluation and like 90% of the evaluations were really positive, maybe 95%, and there were just a few that were emphasizing the negative. Everyone in our planning group, we went right for the negative and said, how can we deal with that? And we, we didn't. it was hard for us to take in the positive. And I think we, many of us know that. How many people have at least slight tendencies in that direction? <laughs> yeah. um, and we can, we can see that, that we somehow go for the negative, we go for the, the criticism, and we take it to heart. And people can say a hundred good things about us and five negative, and we get preoccupied by the five negative. And so the gratefulness practice goes in the opposite direction. It's a practice that we can use to really open up to a different way of seeing, to really being appreciative. And it's, again, it's so, again, it, it's not so common in our culture. I love in, in groups I work with sometimes to, at certain periods, go around the circle and have everyone say something appreciative about another person. And some of you may do this in groups. And do you know, when I experience this, it, it's so, it just is such a relief. Right? It's such a relief that, oh, gosh, I'm being appreciated. I don't have to be on edge against the critical comments and my internalization of the critical comments. I can just, oh, I can just, bat. it's almost like, again, I move into the gift economy, the cycling of gifts, the cycling of appreciation, and I live there more, which is really where we're pointing towards. Um, and We can be grateful for so many things. We can be grateful for the um, just the beauty, you know, just the the beauty of this land, the beauty of being here. Uh, I was about a month ago. I was in Chaco Canyon in New Mexico, and I was reminded, which which is incredibly awesome and beautiful. How many people have been there? So qu- quite a few of you. It's it was the center of the Anasazi culture, which later move down to be the Pueblo culture uh, in New Mexico and Arizona, and also connect with the Hopis and the Navajos. And I was there, and there was, um, I was reminded of this beautiful uh, chant uh, that I had heard before, but this, this really struck me with sort of new energy, and it's this chant that, that, that says, With beauty may I walk. Some of you may know this. With beauty may I walk. With beauty above me may I walk. With beauty below me, may I walk. With beauty on either side of me, may I walk. With beauty all around me, may I walk." And then there was another line that I had never heard before, which said, in old age, lively, with beauty nearby, may I walk. And. It just was invoking that quality of gratefulness as a, as the main um, container for our lives, as the main frame for our lives. And we can we can do this practice in all sorts of ways. We can practice in in small ways, just with the objects around us. We can be, we can be with just you know. I love to do a meditation that. Uh, I like to call meditation with ordinary objects. And one of the meditations we do is just to take a very ordinary object around us, like the bell or the floor, the rug, and just to appreciate how this object supports my life. What would we do without this bell? How does the rug soften things? and, And we can do that with small things. We can just... In a a moment, we can we can turn our attention towards appreciation. There's a wonderful uh, book that um, expresses this sense of gratitude towards everyday objects in the most beautiful way. And I'm actually going to read you the whole book. It's a short book. It's a it it doesn't um, take that long to read, so don't get worried. But it's called Saint Francis Preaches to the Birds. So it's about Saint Francis. And I'll read you the whole book and show you the pictures. <clears throat> this, is by, this is by a man named Peter Schumann, who was uh, German originally, who started the Bread and Puppet Theater in Vermont, that some of you may know about, which is one of my favorite. I used to live in Vermont also, <laughs> as well as Germany and Boston. <laughs> and this is a, it's a one, some of you may know the Bread and Puppet Theater. It's the most marvelous combination of art, spirituality, and politics. You know, they had a lot of the 30, 40-foot puppets that you can sometimes see at demonstrations and so forth. So this is St. Francis. Picture of St. Francis. It's 5 a.m. Wake up, St. Francis. He opens the window and sings, (laughs) Tra-la-la. He brushes his teeth and says, Thank you, teeth. (laughs) He washes his toes and says, Thank you, toes. He gets milk, drinks his coffee, and says, Thank you, coffee. I don't know if they actually had coffee in Italy (laughs) (laughs) back then. He goes through the town, through the apple orchard, over the pasture, and up the hill. And the birds come flying, 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 flying. (laughs) flying, Flying. still flying. Flying. Dane St. Francis preaches to the birds until the sun sets. Yes! Until the sun sets. Good night. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite a flavor of gratitude, isn't it? It's just a life of gratitude, and what's what's very amazing also is that the um, the quality of gratitude can be there with difficult parts of our lives in in various ways and that that difficult aspects of our lives as, as you were suggesting um, can call forth us even the sense of gratitude we can be gracious grateful for the new challenges that we wouldn't have otherwise. You know, and quite sincerely, right? We can actually say, oh, you know, this is, I read this uh, about two weeks ago. I read the little passage by uh, Clarissa pancoli Estes who said, we are made for these times. Right? We are made, do not lose heart. We are made for these times. And we can see our difficulties as challenges that actually <laughs> help us to learn. Uh, and we can actually... When we go deeply, even into very difficult experiences, I think when, you know, I know when I've explored grief, I've been amazed sometimes to go deeply into grief and find that grief is not, as it were, monolithic. There's always a sense also of appreciation and beauty. There's a, there's a bittersweet quality at times, too, even to grief. And there's also the, the quality that that which is often really difficult for us, Uh, brings us amazing gifts. And I wanted to, I wanted to really end by, actually not end, but just before ending, um, read a little bit of a story by Rachel Naomi Remen from this book called Kitchen Table Wisdom that some of, some of you may know. This is a very powerful story of a young man who had, uh, cancer. He had been an athlete. He was in his twenties. And he had cancer and his leg had to be removed. And he was totally devastated by that. And he did a drawing working with Rachel Naomi Remen. He, did, he was asked to do a drawing of himself and the drawing that he did was that of a uh, vase with a crack going through the entire vase. And the, the crack was filled in with very, very, very deep black lines. It was like very clear that this vase was totally ruined by the drawing. And over the course of the sessions that uh, Rachel had with this young man, he had to go through a tremendous amount of anger. He worked with very, very intense anger... For a long time, he was angry at everyone. He thought no one could possibly understand the kind of loss he had had, that, that it was inconceivable, and he was very cynical that anyone could even touch him. And over time, though, he, things shifted a little bit, and he started to become uh, interested in other people who were in like situations. And he started to um, uh, talk with them and spend some time with them. And he started to visit other people in the hospitals who had had major losses like he had. And I just wanted to read the end of this story uh, about this young man. He came back from these visits to people who had suffered major losses, usually full of stories, delighted to find that he he could reach young people. He was often able to be of help where no one else could. After a while, he felt able to speak to parents and families, helping them to better understand and to know what was needed. The surgeons, delighted with the results of those visits, referred more and more people to him. Some of these doctors had seen him play ball, and they began to spend a little time with him. As he got to know them, his respect for them grew. Gradually, his anger faded, and he he developed a sort of ministry I just watched and listened and appreciated. Eventually, he actually, he uh, visited at one point a young woman who had had uh, breast cancer. Um, No, she had had, her mother and two of her sisters had had breast cancer. And she was so, she was in her early 20s, and she was so... um, terrified of developing breast cancer herself, that she had both her breasts surgically removed. And he visited her, and eventually they became friends. And eventually they actually married each other. And near the, um, near the end of their sessions, Rachel was talking with him, and she asked him to come back and look at the drawing. She said, we were reviewing the way he had come, the sticking points and the turning points. I opened his chart. I found the picture of the broken vase that he had drawn two years before. Unfolding it, I asked him if he remembered the drawing he had made of his body. He took it in his hands and he looked at it for some time. You know, he said, it's not really finished. Surprised, I extended my basket of crayons towards him. Taking a yellow crayon, he began to draw lines radiating from the crack in the vase to the very edges of the paper. Thick yellow lines. I watched, puzzled. He was smiling. Finally, he put his finger on the crack, looked at me, and he said softly, pointing to the crack that had formerly been black, he said, this is where the light comes through. So that's, that's, a, that's a powerful perspective, isn't it? Not an easy one but it's something that can let us even work at least with the possibility that that which is difficult, and sometimes very difficult, can be a source of uh, learning and light and, and healing. And so let me, I think let me finish by um, ending with one of my favorite um, quotations about gratitude um, from uh, Walt Whitman, um, who, who said a lot about gratitude in the, in the poem Leaves of Grass? He, he said at one point, When I give, I give myself. And he also said this uh, as sort of an invocation to how to live with a grateful heart. This is what you should do love the earth and the sun and the animals, despise riches, give alms to everyone that asks, stand up for the stupid and crazy. Devote your income and labor to others. Hate tyrants. Argue not concerning God. Have patience and indulgence towards the people. Take off your hat to nothing known or unknown or to any man or any number of men. Go freely with powerful, uneducated persons and with the young and with the mothers of families. Reexamine all you have been told at school or church or in any book. (laughs) Dismiss, (laughs) Dismiss whatever insults your own soul. And your own very flesh shall be a great poem and have the richest fluency not only in its words, but in the silent lines of its lips and face, and between the lashes of your eyes, and in every motion and joint of your body. So, that, that I think is a life that's rich in generosity and rich in gratitude, and that we, um, I think, we move towards when we uh, bring those qualities more into our lives. It's interesting that President Lincoln proclaimed thanksgiving mm. in the midst of one of the most horrible suffering wars this country has ever had. Mm. Mm. And it came out of that suffering mm. yeah. But he made that proclamation. Mm. Thank you, I didn't know that. Yeah. Thank, you. Yeah. Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. What helps you with gratitude? Do people here have... Gratitude practices or generosity practices that you do regularly, Anyone like to share anything, or also just um, also ask a question? I'm just curious because I think finding ways to work with these qualities in small ways is I think a very important way to go, please. Again it's maybe the, the difficult feelings need their time and place to, to circulate. But we can get stuck in them as well, right? And so so the um, having the access to gratefulness or to, to generosity seems like a very, very important tool. Again, not to not to use it as a reason not to feel or not to go through the difficult, but to um, just to, to bring it to bring us into a different way of perceiving. Thank you. <laughs> Responding to the situation, and there actually are somewhat elaborate and detailed teachings about generosity that I didn't I didn't go into this morning in the Buddhist tradition that give kind of very detailed uh, instructions about uh, um, what to give, uh, to whom to give, uh, how to give, and why to give. You know, and, and a lot of it is uh, some of the questions of uh, how to give. You know, that isn't, it could be really relate to what you're saying. So there's an emphasis sometimes in those teachings on giving um, courteously. And, and in, in the Bodhisattva teachings, there's an interesting, very interesting teaching that the Bodhisattva points towards basically giving everything to everyone. But on the way <laughs> on the way to that there's there can be a, a sort of a looking at um, whether just sort of the whole question of how I give, which could be very much could be very much about timing you know do I, um, do I identify as the giver? do I identify uh, the recipient in a certain way? you know am I attached to the gift in some way um but it's really, um, I think if we would, maybe the times when we give where we are constrained in those ways, maybe our timing's not going to be so good. right? Like if, we're, if we really are wanting to give to create an appearance or something, we might actually be so preoccupied by that that we don't have a sense of good timing. We don't, uh, we're not so aware of the um, dimensions of the relationship, maybe. Yeah. That right. 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 So, what what you're suggesting is that there are some, <coughs> at least let's say, at least for us, there are some there are some possible dangers, or some um, ways that we can that the giving can be a little bit distorted. You know, so if we're always being the server or the giver, but there's no room for ourselves, that would be a typical kind of distortion, right? Which is very, very common among those who are service givers, right? Those who are in the service professions give, 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 but it's, not, it's often not okay to uh, give to oneself. You know, I was actually... Just yesterday I was doing, uh, you know, I think most of you know I'm working on a book on the connection of spiritual practice and social change. I was working with, I was talking yesterday and actually taping an interview with a friend who works at uh, one of the Catholic worker houses in, um, in Oakland. Actually, I think it's actually in Berkeley. And she was talking about how in her profession there's just these very, very strong pressures almost not to take care of oneself. Which is exactly what you're talking about. It's like, and how for her, it's such a, it's such an important effort to balance the serving of others with the taking care of herself. And she has to be very, very clear about boundaries and uh, and not fitting into that. Maybe that's in some sense a traditional role, right? Mm-hmm. That you're a selfless giver and you don't take care of yourself and you you don't worry about your own suffering, right? So, so that that's a helpful um, addition because it really. Would say that there's some pitfalls in being givers that we have to that it is really important to give to ourselves and to appreciate ourselves and if we're in that kind of profession to really have a balance of taking care of self and taking care of others which which I know as I it's 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 just such a big thing I mean again I was um, my friend Diana Winston and I did a day long in last February here, four people doing service work and caregivers. And we heard that complaint endlessly. You know, people were, you know, people basically talked about varieties of burnout because they weren't taking care of themselves and they were giving to others and serving others. So, I think that's really, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, please. And most of them were women, I should say, sorry. The, of the people who came that time, ninety percent of the people who came to that day were women. It was it was pretty intense to to notice that. Was ninety percent in the profession. In the service professions, yeah, like, oh, yeah. yeah, in the healing, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah. And and I like also it can keep moving, like yeah. you were saying. It can keep moving and be more more of the world we live in, isn't it? Permanent in your heart. Can be more more of the spirit and, yeah, in fact spirit. when in these traditional teachings, when they talk about what to give or what what are the beautiful gifts, some of the gifts that they mention are the gift of fearlessness is one of the gifts that one can most give to someone else. We could say, I think when, like when we're uh, when we follow the ethical precepts, for example, we give a gift of safety to other people they don 't really have to fear us. Mm-hmm. And one of the gifts, again, the gift of fearlessness is one that's mentioned. And it's said that the greatest gift is the gift of Dharma. Mm-hmm. It's the gift of, we might paraphrase it, as the gift of sharing in the movement towards freedom mm-hmm. and sharing what one knows about that and sharing practices. And that's, that's said in the Buddhist tradition as the greatest gift that there is. Mm-hmm. Said said many times. Yeah, so maybe that's a good point to just sit quietly for a moment or two. And let be present what was most helpful from the morning. It might be something from the meditation, not even necessarily related to the theme, but for many it might be related to generosity and gratitude. And let be present what was most helpful, an insight, a perspective, an intention. And if it's your intention to work with and play with the themes of generosity and gratitude in the next week, Let that intention be there for you, along with some sense of what that means for you. How might I practice generosity and gratitude in the next week? Is there anything concrete that comes to mind? Is there anything in particular that I might do in the next 36 hours or so related to generosity and gratitude that can really, as it were, start this week of uh, giving this theme or these themes some focus? What will help start me in the next 36 hours? So we close, um, as usual, with the traditional practice of offering merit, which is a form of generosity and an expression of gratitude. We recognize that we practice not just for ourselves, but for others. And we offer the fruits of this morning freely for the well-being and the healing, the transformation, the awakening of all beings.